Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. All right, man, what an incredible morning of worship, huh? I, I think the preacher ought to just sit down before he messes it up. I, I don't know. Boy, thank their children, all those being baptized, the worship, the music, a great, great morning. You know, there is a place in Scripture where we hear, worthy, 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 holy, 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 faithful, faithful, faithful. It's in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And the reason is, there's one who is worthy. It's the Lamb who was slaughtered. And today we're going to look at the slaughter. It was... Uh, about seven months ago, last August, I think it was, it was, it was the end of August, and I was uh, putting a lattice up around my air conditioning unit. I was doing that at the invitation of my homeowners association. And uh, so I was putting the lattice up, and it had several four-by-fours that I'd be nailing it to, and they were already in the ground. I was just, I had a small sledgehammer, not the full-size one that takes two hands, but one that you can use with one hand, but a sledgehammer, and I was just driving them a little deeper into the ground, you know, just make them good and solid in there before I secured them. And uh, I don't know why or what. I really don't remember. Honestly, I, I turned to say something to Karen. She was out there helping. And I turned to say something to Karen in the middle of the swing. And as I turned, I brought my hand over the top of the fort. Thank you for grimacing because I can feel it. I'm glad to know you can feel it. So when I brought the sledgehammer down... I hit these two fingers, and you really can't tell much today. I'm sure, I think technically I smashed off the end of my my pointer finger and then took off the side of, of this finger, and it, it hurt. I uh, it, One of the few times I got hurt, I thought, I'm, I'm going to pass out. That was my first thought is I could feel it. You're like, yeah, I'm going I'm to pass out. And I, and I grabbed my hand and I ran inside to get, you know, where it was cool. And I got ice on my fingers and I got ice on the back of my neck. I'm just trying to collect myself here before I, I pass out. I'm bleeding everywhere and I'm, I'm holding on. And it finally, you know, it, it stopped and it got better. And then I went, and this was almost as fun as smashing and begin with, I cleaned the wound. I can feel that right now. Oh, I cleaned it up. And, uh, and by the way, I just feel like I ought to add this. Uh, once I got Band-Aids on everything, I, I went back outside and put the lattice up. The project was finished. Just, no, you don't need, you just need to applaud just for anybody questioning my man card there. I did finish the project. So, uh, you know, anyway, we're seven months now after that happened. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, I might should have gone to see a doctor. I cleaned it up pretty good and everything myself, and but like this side of my finger has no feeling anymore. It's just nothing, numb. And this pointer finger right here, now that is numb, but it, it's that numb that it hurts it, all the time. I, I, can, I can feel, I'm going to stop poking is what I'm going to stop doing. So I, I can feel it. Do you all have something like that where you hurt yourself or something, someone hurt you, and if you stop and think about it for a second, you can feel the pain all over again? I see some, yeah, and I imagine there's some better stories than mine out there. Man, yeah, there is pain we can feel, but I would imagine none of our stories, as funny as they might be or as ah, cringeworthy as they might be, there's not a story in here, there's not a story of anybody watching online that would compare physically to the pain that Jesus endured on the way to 
and on the cross. Let's look at that today. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to begin in verse 66. If you're new to our church, maybe joining us online for the first time, today is our sixth Sunday, six of nine that we have been walking through verse by verse the last week of Jesus' life. That began in the middle of Luke chapter 19, and we've just been working our way through, and, and that today brings us to the cross. And so we're reading, we're doing a lot of reading, we're reading every verse. We want to hear everything the Holy Spirit told us through His servant Luke as we approach Easter this year. And so I got a long reading. A lot of them have been wrong. Today's may be, I think, the longest. Luke 22, beginning in verse 66. At daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priest and teachers of the religious law. Jesus was led before the high council, and they said, tell us, are you the Messiah? But he replied, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. They all shouted, so you are claiming to be the Son of God. And he replied, you say that I am. Now that sounds like a a weird response to us, right? It almost sounds like he's maybe avoiding the the, the question. In, In their vernacular, he just said yes. And you can tell that he just said yes by their response. Why do we need other witnesses, they said. We ourselves have heard him say it. Chapter 23. Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government. That is a lie. And by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. That is the truth. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, again, like he just said to them, you you have said it. Pilate turned to the leading priest and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Let me stop right here real quickly. Always interesting to try to figure out Pilate. You know, because we're going to hear him arguing for Jesus all, all the way through this story. And, you know, like, was Pilate a good guy? Did he, did he maybe have some faith? Did he maybe see it? We know his wife said, hey, this, this guy's innocent. You need to let him go. We know there's some of those things. Pilate is in trouble. He's in trouble politically. He's in trouble back in Rome. He's in trouble in the area. He is a political animal. I would actually read uh, Pontius here as everything he's doing is, is political. Uh, and I think when he says he's innocent, I think what he's saying is, this guy's crazy, and I really don't have time for another crazy guy. You know, I, 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 just, don't, I just don't want to mess with this today. This is not what I need to get caught up in. And so then they became insistent. But he's causing riots by teaching wherever he goes. Again, another lie. All over Judea from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, he's a Galilean, Pilate asked. When they said that he he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. See, Pilate, I don't want anything to do with this. Oh, wait, this is over. Let let Herod take care of it. He didn't even like Herod. They were enemies. You'll see that in a second. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time for a long time to see him perform a magic show. Now it doesn't say a magic show; it says perform a miracle. But that's what he wanted. I, I just want to be impressed. Show me show me some magic. 
He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. You know, the Bible says, by, by those who draw near, near to me, I will draw near to them. If you seek me, you will find me. You know, God knows in our heart what we're doing. He knows if we're confused. He knows if we're searching. He knows if we're trying to work it out. And if we're genuinely trying to work it out, God's going to make sure we work it out. God also knows when people are looking, but they're doing it to be more antagonistic. They're they're, they're doing it almost in a mocking kind of way. And you will hear the silence of heaven. God God doesn't have to have you. He's not up there, oh, please, please, please believe in me. If you don't want him, he will not force himself on you. Herod here is playing a game. He's just mocking, and Jesus gives him nothing. Meanwhile, the leading priest and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. Isn't that sweet? Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me accusing him of leading a revolt. I've examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and I find him to be innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. You you know, again, folks, Herod and Pontius Pilate have sent thousands of people to their death. They have no problem seeing people die. So I do think it is interesting here that they really don't see a need to kill this person because they don't have a problem killing people. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I will have him flogged and then I will release him. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd and with one voice they shouted, kill him and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he demanded why. What crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison, for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless and the wombs that have not borne a child and the breast that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. All this language is right out of language describing the tribulation, when God's judgment, when God's holiness falls on this earth. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? That's a strange line, isn't it? Well, we're going to come back to that in a moment, this little line he throws out about green and dry. Verse 32, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
And the soldiers gambled for his clothing by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, you know, a little commentary here. I, I, I find that to be one of the most profound, maybe the most profound statement of faith in the Bible, a book that's all about faith. You know, the Bible teaches us we walk by faith, not by sight. So let's just imagine just for a second what this guy on the cross is looking at as he looks over at Jesus. This guy's not been flogged. Jesus has. So in this very moment, Jesus looks much worse. I mean, they're both going to die, right? And they're both going to die soon. But when I look over here at Jesus, he looks much worse than I do. He is bloodied, he is bruised, and he is beaten. There's no victory about to take place here. This guy is losing and he's going to die. And to that image that he's looking at, he says, would you save me? And he speaks of the future. Well, that's eyes of faith, isn't it? He's seeing something much more than what he's seeing. And he calls out to Christ for salvation. Now, look, Herod's saying, hey, show us. Show us you're the son of God. Show us you can do something. And Jesus is silent. This criminal, save me. And he says what? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Because when we close our eyes on this earth, instantly we're in paradise in the presence of God. Going on to read verse 44. By the time it was about noon, he'd been on the cross. He got on the cross about nine. So he's been there three hours. By the time it was about noon, the darkness fell across the land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When I started reading, again, we've been going through this every step of the way, day by day, hour by hour. When you look at when he last ate, he last drank. When you look at what's been going on. When I started reading, at that point, Jesus would have already been experiencing dehydration. No big deal, right? As a matter of fact, probably half of us in the room right now are dehydrated. And even those of you sitting at home drinking coffee right now, you're dehydrated. Because that's how we live life, dehydrated. I mean, that's what the, most doctors are going to tell you. And do you know there's actually a lot of medical problems because we live our lives dehydrated? Now, I'm not saying he's not drinking enough water. You go home today and drink more water, okay? I'm not saying that's what he needs. I'm saying the state he's in, he's already dehydrated. And that actually means some things physically to our body. His mouth is, is kind of thick and sticky. His heart is going to be a little bit labored. So just kind of feel that as we now start what's going to happen. He's going to be beaten up throughout the night. Have you ever been beaten up? I'm, I mean, I'm confident there's a couple of us in here. So yeah, yes, I have. 
Uh, I have not. I've not. I've never been hit in the face. But I do know something for a fact. That getting hit in the face is not like getting hit in the face on the camera, on Hollywood, on a movie. Okay? You, you don't get 20, 30 blows to the face and just keep going, you know, go on to be the hero. You're, you're going to be a mess when you're beat up. You're going to be a mess when you've been hit in the face 20, 30 times. Now, what have we learned in Luke? What have we learned in the other Gospels is that Jesus was hit in the face by the temple guards. He was hit in the face... By the Pharisees, this is going on all night long. They're just taking turns punching him in the face. The Roman guards, I don't think, limited themselves to his face. They beat up, they beat him up all over. Now, if we just stop right here, most of us would look at Jesus and say, you know, you need to get to a hospital. He's not okay if we start. Folks, I just, for in just a twinkling of an eye, in just a second, I just one hit to my fingers, and I can still feel that seven months later. If we stop this right now, he feels this the rest of his life. But we move on into the crucifixion. Upon being condemned to crucifixion, he was flogged. Luke referred to the threats or, 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 or the promises, not the threat, the promises that Pontius Pilate says, hey, I'll, I'll flog him and let's not, let's not crucify him. But the other gospels do go on to say he was indeed flogged. He was flogged before he went to the cross. A person would have been flogged. It was an instrument, had a handle about 18 inches long. Off those 18 inches came another 12, 24 dozen or so straps, leather straps that would have been 18 to 24 inches long. Embedded in the leather straps would have been broken up, charred uh, sheep bone. Took the bone, broke it up, and they wove it in, sewed it into these leather straps, and that would tear up the underlying skin, the underlying muscle as it came across him. Also, along, the, uh, along each strap would be probably what you and I would call ball bearings. Metal balls would have been placed into, in through the leather. And what that did is that made the leather straps heavy, heavier. So that not only were you tearing up muscle and skin, but you're, you're breaking muscle and skin. Somebody that was good at using this could use it all over the victim's body. It was not just for the back. They'd, they'd hit them in the head with this, in the legs, and in, in the front. They would use this all over their body. And if you were really good, you could give this person an incredible beating of their lifetime and keep them alive. The, the goal is to keep them alive. So at, at this point now, Jesus is suffering incredible blood loss. And with the blood loss comes more dehydration. When you combine those two things, we know, I mean, just medically speaking, he's probably vomiting. He's passing out. He's got low blood pressure. And he's, can we just say he's got a host of other problems at this point. And now we go to crucifixion. They get him out to the cross. And I, I think a lot of us, we know the story, right? We know what happens when we get there. We nail his hands and his feet to the cross. Understand the hand refers to not only the hand, it also includes the wrist and that's where the nails would have gone. I know all of our artwork has it in the hands because uh, it makes for good artistry. But it, that's not where the nail would have gone. Because you, the weight of the body is hanging on this nail. If the nail's right here in time, it's just going to tear through the hand and my hand is going to come out. 
So they have to put the nail here so that it can support the weight of the body. And if you just grab that with finger, finger and a thumb, I mean, you can feel you got two bones there and the, the spot where the nail would go. There's also a major nerve that runs right up through there, meaning just uh, um, not that being nailed with a nail is not enough, but the, the, that would have either severed that nerve or that nerve would have slipped by it and the nail would have been running on it. And there's just every movement would have been unbelievable torture. And so as you hung on the cross, how you're going to die uh, is suffocation. And did you know you could actually last on the cross for two to three days? Most victims of the crucifixion were there on that cross for two to three days. That was the Romans' goal, protracted suffering and humiliation. And, and some, there's some historical writings even of people lasting up to a week. And, and so what happened on the cross is as you hung there, and go home today and hang from something, as you hang there, you can certainly breathe. But, but the longer you hang there and your body starts to sag, pretty soon it, gets, it kind of comes hard to breathe. Your, your diaphragm starts to get tired in this position. And pretty, you can breathe, but the air doesn't go in, right? So what you do to draw a breath is you push down on the nail in your foot and you pull up on the nails in your hands to get your lungs up enough to where your diaphragm will work and you can draw in air and then you slump back down. Obviously, your body gets heavier and heavier with each breath. Each breath is severe torture. Again, the Romans, wanting to make this last as long as possible, you don't always see this in the artwork, but in almost every case it would have been there. As, as I'm on the cross, there would be a seat right here. Now, I'm not talking about a good seat where I can actually sit down, take a break from this. No, a, a slanted seat, only about four inches. It was just, it was just enough. Just a month, so I kind of almost for a second was, a, but then, you know, you slide off. But, but it gives me just enough rest. Why? So I can keep going. So I can keep bringing this suffering and torture on myself so that I can last. Jesus died in six hours. Not two or three days, not a week, but six hours. He died very quickly. Why? Because of the flogging. The, the flogging that took place beforehand. Most victims were not flogged before they were crucified. And when they wanted to end the crucifixion, and they, they, it was Passover, the Jews pleaded, hey, could we stop now? Could we get it over with? And, and in this, it was the Sabbath, not Passover, it was Sabbath. And, and so they would break their legs. Do you understand now why they broke their legs? Because if my leg is broke, I can't push up to get air. And so now I'm just totally on my arms, which are tired and, and in pain, so I can't pull up to do anything. So you, once the legs are broke, you're going to suffocate very, very quickly. And Jesus was already dead. They did not break his legs. We might wonder, so how did actually Jesus die? You know, we might make the case because he gave his spirit to the Father. He chose the moment. This is it. The work is done. It is finished. And he gave us the spirit to the Father. Of course, we, could, we also know just if a human body... Medically, physically, what is going on? It, you, you've got suffocation. You've got, I, I don't even know how much blood could be left in his body at this point. He's been bleeding on some level for 12 straight hours and even heart attack. Now, what I've just given you, believe it or not, is a very minimal understanding of what just happened over the course of 18 hours 
from the time we ended the Lord's Supper to now. There's much more we could understand about what his human body was experiencing and going through. But I think we've got just enough understanding of what happened that we can now look to heaven and say, Why, God? Why did it have to be like this? This is horrible. And, and, you know, right, right, we're also, okay, this is where we say Jesus was dying for our sins. That's not my question. The, the question isn't, why did Jesus die for my sins? The question is, why did it have to be like this? And wh- why not send him to, like, 20th century America? I mean, we just put him in an electric chair and he'd be dead in a second. Why would you have your own son endure this horrific, violent death? And God would look to you and me and he would say, because I'm trying to wake you up. Because you don't get it and you've never gotten it. You don't get what your sin is before holiness. You don't get what your sin is before heaven. You think you're good. So, well, Pastor, that's not always true, man. There's, there's people walking around just incredible shame and guilt. They look at that season in their life or that thing they did and they, they carry such guilt. Folks, do you know the guilt we carry over those horrible sins is the testimony to our own pride and arrogance and attack and rebellion against holiness? Because you and I have one sin that we feel so ashamed of when we don't even think about about the million lies that we tell, the gossip that we're involved in, the tearing down that we're involved. Let me just go on and on and on. For every sin you're overwhelmed by and feeling so guilty, there's a hundred you could care less about. You don't get it. You've never gotten it. God literally put something in front of us to say, look, This is the high cost of your sin, every sin, not just the ones you think are bad. And you know, we hear that. We think God's the problem. Well, if he wasn't such a perfectionist, well, if he wasn't so demanding all this holiness, every word, every thought we have is just a testimony to our arrogance and our guilt and that we've never understood our sin. You don't get it. The person behind you doesn't get it. The people next to you don't get it. And the person talking right now doesn't get it. We never have. And so Jesus is traveling on his way to the cross and these women are crying, what a horrible scene. How can this be happening? I thought this was the Messiah. I thought this was the Son of God and they're, they're crying out. And Jesus has this moment where he says, don't weep for me. Weep for those who can observe this and walk away. Weep, weep for those who can miss God's moment to wake them up. And then there's this Weird statement about a green tree and a dry tree. What, what, I mean, what, what is going on? With, you know, it's spring. We're coming out of winter. We're starting to clean up the yard, right? You know, we're getting the dead branches picked up. Maybe some of us, we go and we burn those branches. Maybe we're doing some trimming. And you, you know, you, you have tried to burn green branches. They don't burn very well, do they? 
You get them going, there's a little fire going, and it really doesn't get going, and you turn your back, and the fire goes out. Ah, but you get some good dry branches, and man, that burns hot. And what Jesus is saying, take in, I want you to take in all this horror. I'm the green tree that's burning. For those who reject this and walk away from it, they're the dry branches when, God's, when the fire of God's holiness falls. When the fire of God's judgment falls, feel sorry for them. This is nothing compared to what's coming. You cannot stand before a holy God. You cannot answer for your sin. You cannot pay for your sin. That's the bad news. But there's the gospel. What's that word gospel mean? It means good news. When's good news really meaningful? When there's bad news. And what's the good news? Oh, gosh, the whole New Testament, right? The whole story of the New Testament. Let me boil it down to I'm just picking one sentence to share the gospel. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered. We're just getting a glimpse, just a glimpse of that suffering Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You can't carry yourself to God safely. Nobody you're related to can carry you to God. No no institution, organization is going to carry you safely to God. The fire of God will fall. The Bible promises it. God promises there will be a day when everything that everybody's getting away with stops. There will be no more getting away. Every sin, not just the ones that made us feel so bad about ourselves, every sin will answer. The fire of God's holiness, the fire of his judgment will fall. And there's only one safe place to be when that fire falls, and that's where the fire is already burned. That's where the judgment has already taken place. That's why we use that phraseology, coming to the cross, taking our sins to the cross. I'm going to where God's fire has already burned. It's absolutely going to be horrific. There's no other way to show this. It's absolutely going to be violent. But there's a place where it's already happened. And I can take my sins there and I can leave them there at the cross where his judgments already happened, where the fire has already fallen. And Jesus says, woe to those, warning to those who go anywhere but the cross, who have any other faith, any other answer. It's not even Jesus plus something. It is Christ and Christ alone. It is the cross and the cross alone. Have you come to Christ? This whole scene is meant, it demands that we stop and ask, what happened here? Why? Why? Why is this? This whole scene is showing how spiritually dull and dead we are. And what it takes for God to say, you are not okay. Have you come to the cross? Have you come to Christ? 
That is the only answer, period. And it is the answer for all sinners. And it is the answer for all sin. If you're not sure that you have that relationship with God, you're not sure that you've done that, you want to know, Meg, I got some questions about what I do or how how it is or if that's happened. I want to encourage you, when we leave here in just a moment and we go out these doors, there's a desk right in the center, says next steps above it, and there's a group of folks there that would love to be able to talk with you and answer your questions. Don't be dry wood that is dumb enough to walk away. Don't see this moment And think, I've got this. I'm okay. If there's any doubt, any fear, any insecurity, any question, settle it. That's the good news. It can be settled today. Go out there. Take that step of faith and begin that conversation. Now, my assumption would be that the tremendous majority of us have gone to the cross. Amen? We have hidden our lives under the cross. So... We're done. We can go on out. We don't have to pause anywhere and go on home, have a nice lunch. Do you think seeing this is meant just to get our attention for that moment we need to be saved and then we never really see, see it again? Surely this is so profound. It's to impact every day of my life. Do you know why I tell the truth when everything inside me is saying lie? Because this happened for me. Do you know why we go this way when the whole world is saying go this way? Because this happened for me. And I I, I can just go on and on and on. You've not lived a day since you've been saved that Luke 22 to 23 Shouldn't be guiding what you say, what you don't say, how you respond, how you don't respond, what you do, what you don't do. This right here should guide how I sing. Should guide how I give. It should guide how I love. It should guide how I forgive. Because this was done for me. Is it having the impact on your life that it should? Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person here in this room, everybody watching online, Lord, that right now we think about what Jesus did for us, what we've just observed in this scene that was done for me. The scripture over and over says every one of us looking at it needs to look at it personally, needs to take it personally. Oh, Lord, may none of us walk away from this moment and not ask Why did this happen for me? And what do I need to do next? Oh Lord, I pray the great joy of our life is to look forward one day to join the song that's already begun and cry out, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. Because a lamb was slaughtered for me. God forgive us that that doesn't guide every 
moment of who I am and what I do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.